Welcome to season three. Welcome to season three of this most unbelievable podcast. We're doing it, Paul. We're doing it, Sherry, and here we are again. Here we are again. So when we started season one, we had no plan. We just explored topics as they came up. And for season two, we made a plan. How do experiences go through the mind, the body, and the heart? Now we go into season three. Do we have a plan? Well, a couple of topics keep coming up. Yeah, so what reoccurring theme do you see, Paul? I see the topic of connection coming up a lot. What do you see, Sherry? Definitely connection, and also persistence. Uh, Connection and persistence. These are pretty big themes, Paul. These are pretty big themes, Sherry, and we'll do our best to cover them well here in Season 3. And we thank you, dear listeners, for joining us as we explore these topics. If you like what you hear and you want to support us, please visit the website and click on the donate button to support us on Patreon. You can also check out our website where you can learn more about the workshops and events we have coming up. Thanks for listening, everybody. Now on with the show. Hey, Sherry, what's going on? It's a Wednesday afternoon. Here we are. It's early December. Things are looking good. It's already dark out, but it's still early. It is. Looking All over of that to make, is true. Looking over to make sure that I actually pressed the button on the I did. Cool. We actually are recording. Cool. Me too. It is important that we double check the buttons. Yeah, it's like I, I pressed it, but I was being all cool and not watching while I pressed it. Uh, and so I just wanted to make sure that I actually did. I do that too. I try to push the button with like a lot of fanfare. Yeah. Not that anyone can see me except for me. <laughs> well, I guess you can see me, but well, you're yeah. not paying attention because you're all into your own button flare. Yeah, I'm into my own button flare. And when the when I process the audio before the the episode goes up it's like i usually chop out the first couple of seconds anyway which is literally the sound of button pressing so it's like all that fanfare was for naught right it's probably gonna get it was for our own enjoyment we enjoyed it we did enjoyment how are you i'm well how are you i'm doing well uh i'm doing well uh the second day of december second day of december this will go out on the what the seventh or something like the eighth eighth the eighth of december uh which is shauna's birthday it is happy birthday happy birthday shauna i know that because it's in my calendar yes it's in mine too it's also it's on her driver's license so i know it that way too i bet it's also on her birth certificate oh yeah it is it's also needs to be in my brain so yeah well we'll get, we'll get it there but we're working on brain things you know what we listeners do you know what we just did before we pressed that button to start recording <laughs> sherry and i <laughs> this is episode 41 of this most unbelievable life the podcast edition and uh sherry's like that's a prime number well she didn't sound like that uh this i a, love that you like, <laughs> that's a prime is- number isn't it <laughs> she sounds like old you know Teddy Pendergrass from the 70s or something, you know? Yeah, she does not sound like that. I don't know um, how I would do that. Um, that's a prime number, isn't it? And I said, yes, it is. And so we we, we, we then uh, went through Counted the, backwards counted and backwards, prime numbers. Yeah, prime numbers to get down to zero. It's like, yeah, we, we did a pretty good job. Because you we liked did. math. You were good at math. You were proficient I, at it. And, and that's, whoa, the, whoa, whoa, that's whoa. the stigma. Why are you using past tense? Like, I used to be good at math, but now me and my English degrees are sitting over here 
being shitty at math. I am well, still I, well. Well, clearly good you are math. because we just tested that right with the prime number with the prime number test, and um, uh, you are not the only um, person who I know professionally who is not directly a STEM faculty person who also kind of has this story in their head that people don't think they're good at math, but they really actually are. Um, we have a, a colleague in counseling and, and she has students. It's like, yeah, I'm not good at math. And it's like, yeah, okay, maybe think about a humanities degree or something like that. Because I wasn't good at math either. But then she's like, wait, I took Calc 3. I'm great at math. I'm great right? at math, right? And you have a similar story, right? You're actually great at, great at math. Um, I'm great at math. You enjoyed um, it quite a lot. Yeah, and when I was, so when I was in high school, I did not do AP English um, but I did two semesters of AP Calculus, uh, yeah, and yeah. I wasn't second semester. So I didn't do too well in second semester AP Calculus, um, because when I was in second semester AP Calculus, uh, it was my last semester of high school mm. and, uh, I fell in love and I got senioritis. There was no calculus for my little brain. But I did very well on the part of the AP test that was the first semester. So I AP'd out of that, no problem. Um, it all just seems so derivative when we put it in contrast with all of the other stuff, right? <laughs> in the grand scheme of things, yeah. Um, but then when I went away to college, like originally I had signed up for all my classes. Uh, and then at orientation, I changed my major. And so I Isn't went it in... then reorientation? Yeah, I guess so. Sorry, go ahead. Anyway, so, you know, I go in and I had, you know, I, I love the story where I go over to the English department. I leave the architecture program right, to go over right, to the English right. department. I think I want to be an English major. But I ended up sitting down with um, the guy who became my first year advisor, um, dear, dear professor. But he pulls up the classes I was registered for including second semester calculus for engineers. Mm -hmm. And he's just like, oh, you don't have to take this class. You could take math for liberal yeah. arts majors. And like, to me, like, that was like, I had never been so insulted. Yeah, like, right. Why would I right. take right. the math yeah. for the, you know, arithmetically challenged? Um, so I loved my calculus class. Um, I love math. Um, and there are a lot of humanities people out there who are really good at math. Yeah, there are. There really are. Um, you know, there are also some scientists out there who are good at words. Uh, I know plenty who aren't. Uh. <laughs> so, you know, I'm, I'm conflicted here. It's like, there are. You're absolutely right. I know, I know for a fact there are many, many. And I also know some that are not. I was trying to compliment. Yeah, yeah. It's like I also know some that are not. You know, and I guess what that means about that stereotype is that um, it's true in every case, and except for the ones where it's not. And uh, that's what what stereotypes do. I think. Mm -hmm. um, I, I mean, I feel like anytime I use the word stereotype, I'm saying this thing that it's like we used to use that back in the '80s. It's like the concept of the stereotype still actually a thing because it was. Oh, man, I think now we stereotypes. call them tropes. Like, is that, yeah, it's like, I'm not even sure I got the vernacular right. Tropes or motifs or whatever you want to sort of call yeah. it. And um, 
Yeah, there's a stereotype that, you know, humanities folks are lousy at math and STEM folks are great at it, but they can't write their way out of a wet paper bag. And, you know, I've seen humanities majors that and humanities faculty that are lousy at math. And I've seen some, like I'm looking at one right now, who is great at math. Mm -hmm. And likewise, I've seen STEM faculty, you know, and scientists who are fantastic at literature and writing and wordsmithing. And I've seen some who literally cannot write their way out of a wet paper bag. So um, that stereotype is true unless it's not, which I guess makes it not really a stereotype. I don't know. Well, I mean, I feel like... What promotes that, though? I mean, why is that still a thing that people still... Well, I think it's because you're we You're one like... or the other, right? You're, you're STEMI or you're humanities. And it's like, pick which one. I mean, this isn't... Well, I think we like to categorize humans because we like to pretend like we understand how the world works. And we like to say there are only seven types of humans or nine. I guess that's what the Enneagram does. Or Well, I was going to say know. Aries. Aries, right? And right. So 12. There, there's, the, the, there, there's only two, right? Aries and everybody else. Right? That's the way I, uh, I think that there are three. Aries. There's Aries, Leo, Leo <laughs> and then those other people. Everybody else. The occasional Sagittarius is acceptable. It is right. I'm, else, I'm, so. I'm kidding. I don't know. Fire I'm very, woo. like, I love some Sagittariuses. Yeah. Uh, as you do, too. Yeah, right? I do. Yeah, one has a birthday coming up. Right. Yeah. That I desperately it, need to remember. But um, I always forget that they're fire signs because I feel like their fire looks very different from ours. It does. And um, to quote Jim Morrison, which may or may not be wise um jim morrison was a sagittarius and he he has on one of his live albums uh, from the doors back in the in the in the late 60s you know he's doing this live concert yeah and you know part of the uh i think it was soul kitchen right he was he was going through this song and, he, and he's talking to the audience is like i'm a sagittarius the most philosophical of all the signs um and then somebody in the audience says so am i and he's like whoa <laughs> And then he's like, I think it's a bunch of bullshit. And she's like, so do I. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, I'm whatever that guy is. Yeah. And, uh, and I think whatever he thinks. So um, it's kind of funny. But, you know, he said Sagittarius's were philosophical. And, and I don't know if this is a conversation about zodiacal signs and, and all of that. But zodiac signs do have stereotypes. And I know that we've talked about both you and I. You know, you're, you're the most Leo Leo I've ever met. I'm the most Aries Aries I've ever met. But I'm a cusper, right? I'm on the Aries Taurus cusp. Oh, you are too. Um, uh, so, so I don't know. What's with these stereotypes? Why do we do that? Why do we I'm put people into these? Yeah, I think it's just easier. Like, <sighs> it's a shortcut. It's a shortcut to knowing people instead of instead of getting really curious about who someone is and mm. asking them, like you know, really authentic questions that like, what makes you tick? Like, well, what's your sign? And I will assume things about you so I don't have to actively try to get to know you. Yeah, right. What's your Myers-Briggs? What is yours anyway? We we talked about this earlier when we did the Paul and Sherry did a personality test. You know test. what? I have, let's see. Right. See, I keep very good notes. She lies. I don't keep notes. But <laughs> I keep great notes. They're scattered all over the room, right? I don't know why I happen to have this, but I believe, based upon my note-taking from our personality test, yeah. that you are an ENTJ. Is yeah, that's that usually how I, Yeah, that's usually how I test out, yeah. It's yeah, that makes sense to me. Um, so I'm an ENFP. Yeah. Um, I was talking about this the other day with some folks. I don't, like, I, I totally get the NF. Um, 
like that part of my Myers-Briggs. Yeah. And I totally get that you were an NT. That feels right to me. And we're both obviously E's. <laughs> oh, total E's, right? That is the one that is like not in doubt. You know? Yeah. But there are these times where I can tell that I'm totally in effing all over you. Yeah, like where I'm yeah. like, I'm all in my feels. And you're like, I understand that those are feelings. Yeah, Interesting. I'm the, I, NT all over you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't J as much as I think I do. That's my lowest, least confident one. Right. So that's for I'm me too. too. I'm not like too the, judgy. I'm not, I'm not. I'm very lightly the P, yeah, and I don't like even understand really the P versus the J. Yeah, I'm like I'm like a fifty-one percent. Yeah. J over P. Um, but the the E, you know, I used to tell people that e. I thought I was that the E is correct. Oh yeah, <laughs> the E is correct. I used to think that I was an ambivert, like kind of introverted, kind of extroverted, kind of on the cusp. Um, if there's one thing pandemic has taught me, it's that I'm extroverted. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. But then so. again, I refuel by alone time. We've talked about this a couple of times. It's like sometimes Paul needs some Paul time, and that means Paul's by himself. Um, and that's, I can extrovert all day. Well, most of, most of the day. <laughs> but after a while, it's like, I'm going to get in the car and I'm going to drive, and I'll be back later. And I'm not going to go anywhere. I'm just going right. to get in the car and drive. Well, I mean, I think I'm an extrovert until I'm not. Yeah, right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah that's what it feels like. That's what it feels yeah. like. Yeah, because like when I crash, I mean, we talked about this with our survival guide group the other night. Yeah. I'm an extrovert until like I hit a wall. And when I hit that wall, I'm done. And we're and done. I think yeah. you've yeah. seen that at the end of a podcast, I think, before when yeah. like we yeah, log off twice. and you're like, all of a sudden, you have a different sherry in your presence. Yeah. One that is depleted and morose. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's a little more to it than just, you know, we, I mean, we say it's like, we're going to record some of our conversations. It turns out there is a little more to it um, than that. Um, and thank you for having a podcast with me, Sherry. I think it's great. I love having a podcast with you. 40 yes. 41 episodes. You know, I looked up some statistics the other day, and apparently, um, over 50% of podcasts never get past episode 14. Mm, interesting. We've done that. We have done that. We did that mm-hmm. in May. So. Um, so back to the stereotype thing. It's like, why do people do that? Um, so you, you brought up, it, it, it gives people a way to feel like they're learning something about somebody without having to go through the suffering and dignity of actually asking them interesting questions. Right about them Mm -hmm. right so it's like i can i can actually get to know you or i can ask what your enneagram number is i can actually find out something about you or i can ask you what your myers-briggs is Mm -hmm. is that what it's it's so pervasive though what do you mean i mean the nature uh, it's just the notion that that is something that can be done you know, it's like we, we it's like it, it gets back to like human evolutionary psychology where it's like, the, and I've talked about this occasionally, not too often, but like way back in the podcast, I was a little bit. Humans are really good at putting things into groups. It's like mm-hmm. we're classifiers before we're just about anything else. Um, who's in and who's out and, and how many groups do I have to, to like sort things between? Mm-hmm. Super pervasive in human psychology in all aspects of it. Um yeah, so what do we get from categorization? Is it efficiency? Is, is this 
I think it, it can't is. be. I don't know. I don't know. Um, well, it, we like to think that we have people figure it out. And, and so these are all different ways of sort of tapping in. Because as we know, I mean, we participate in these personality tests, if you want to call them what, what that. I mean, there's a little more nuance to them than just calling it a personality test. But we do these things. I mean, um, Facebook is rife with them. Uh, figure out your f- what you know. Um, there's so many personalities. To, it's all just data gathering, just so you know you're you're being commoditized. Um, but why uh, people people what? pay for these things, including me, and um, they they put stock in them, and sometimes literally. But doesn't why do something... we feel like we need to figure somebody out so efficiently? Why can't we take the time to actually have a conversation with someone? Because. I think that there are rewards for instantaneous connection, even if they are artificial, right? Like, so think about what happens, like, you know, icebreaker activities in a classroom or a meeting. Right. Right. right like right, right. the whole idea there is uh, we're going to ask like some stupid question about everybody. Everyone is going to then have the shared experience of having to tell some random factoid about themselves i literally did that on monday and i was like hey what's favorite color right (laughs) right exactly and so like we ask a whole room of people what's your favorite color yeah and so then all of a sudden by the end of the meeting or the end of the ice breaking activity all of a sudden people have this sense of shared camaraderie over i also love green we're gonna be besties yeah like so i'm not the only one there's another green enthusiast here. There's We get something out of knowing we're not alone. Green enthusiasts are a dime a dozen, by the way. It's the yellow enthusiasts that are rare. Um, That's my husband. Is yellow? Yeah, yellow yellow's his favorite. Yeah, there's, a, there's a couple out there. Yeah. Um, yeah Do you know what my favorite color is? You didn't ask me. Ooh, you I better. Uh, uh, purple. Sometimes. See, see, see. I pay attention. Not bad, not bad. I have two different favorite colors that I decide which one I want to say, depending on how I'm feeling. How are you feeling right now? Green or purple? Oh, never green. Never green. Blue? Not blue. You're not blue. Uh-uh. Uh, what is it? Red. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I was born in July. Ruby. Come Red on. is a color. It is a color. Red is a color. But you're a green and blue kind of guy. Well, well, funny. The birthstone for uh, April is diamond, which means my favorite color is clear. <laughs> <laughs> which is all the colors. Which right? makes sense, right? Which makes sense. Um, yeah. So, what happens then when we have somebody who it's like I'm a humanities person and I teach English and I'm really good at math, right? When you meet people like that, it's oftentimes tempting to say, "Oh, I thought I was the only one." It is. It is. Um, I think that there, I think we spend a lot of time with that phrase, right? Like I hear that phrase all the time. Um, the phrase. I thought I was the only one. I thought I was the only one. Um, you know, I think we move through life um, so intimately aware of our own struggle and reality. Um, that I think it can sometimes take us by surprise when we learn everyone else struggles in the same way. Yeah, yeah. Right? Um, but I think, you know, one of 
uh, there's this philosopher named Yolam who has four ultimate concerns that face humans. Um, death, freedom, isolation, and meaninglessness, mm. right? Like these are the things mm. people are trying to ne- ne- negotiate all the time. Right, right. Um, and I think isolation, whether or not it's true, I think the brain is somewhat predisposed to kind of trick us into thinking we are the only one. You can't tell people that, you know, sometimes you have anxiety because you'll be the outlier. You'll be the only person who faces that. Like, I think, um, yeah, what's up with that? Why do we tell ourselves that we're so alone in experiences? Yeah, I I listen to... um... I listen to a couple of podcasts. Mm. We'll offer that. Uh, one of my favorites, um, and it has been for a long time, I might have mentioned this before, is Rich Roll, Rich Roll podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, if Rich Roll ever listened to this podcast, I would freak out. So if he does, hi. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and um, he would, uh, I mean, this, I'm not I'm not telling stories out of school here. I mean, this is well known. He talks about this all the time. You know, he, you know, is in, is in recovery. Um, and he talks about that quite a lot. And some of his favorite books are, are, uh, recover, you know, recovery stories, alcoholism, drug abuse, whatever it, it might be. And he has a, quite a story of his own that again is widely known, read his book. You know, it's like, I'm not, I'm not saying anything that anybody doesn't already know, right. Who is passively or actively interested in rich role. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and he would offer that, when people start talking to somebody else about their nuances, their foibles, their tricks, their addiction, whatever it might be. Yeah. But you don't understand my problems. My problems are mine. They're unique to me. Right. And, and these are, you just don't know the real me. If you really did, you know, that, you know, booze is the only way out of this. And, um, that all sounds great, but you just don't understand what it's like to be me. And it's this, this uniqueness, of one's own personal experience that makes us feel like, and the only experience that we're really aware of is our own. (laughs) Right. And, um, the only experience we're really aware of is our own and, and our own experience feels so present and the experience of others feels so foreign that it's, it seems almost impossible to sort of bridge the gap between who we are and what we think and what we feel and that experience of somebody else. You know, because I've lived with my wife now for almost 20 years. I mean, we mm-hmm. we started cohabitating in 03. Um, we've known each other since we were 17, 18, right? Um, active relationship. This is our 20-year anniversary of that. So we started dating in 2000. Dating, like that's a thing. Um, (laughs) And we went on a date. Um, I was 35 and she was... um, um, And I have no idea what it's like in her head. Mm -hmm. I have no idea what... I mean, I I, I see her every day. I spend many hours with her each day. like, I can't even imagine what the universe looks like and feels like for her. Yeah. You know, and it's like... What I know of my own self after 20 years of a Vipassana meditation practice, uh, maybe maybe 10%. You know? <laughs> Other people, like 0%. So it's like, I can't even imagine, I can barely imagine what it's like to be me, let alone what it's like to be anyone else. And so when I think about my own relationship to things, um, it's like I sort of get myself kind of on good days. 
I can't imagine what it's like to be anyone else. So no one else could possibly understand what it's like to be me. And then when you meet somebody that has some of the same quirks that you may randomly recognize in, in yourself, it's like, wow, this person, how could they possibly do that? Because I thought I was the only one, right? And I think it's that, that universal, universality of the own individual experience that we all work with every day and we all live with every day mm-hmm. that I think feeds into that notion of um, who, who, who could understand me better than myself. Which, I mean, is itself a complicated thing, but... Yeah, yeah, right. Buddhist yeah. philosophy notwithstanding, that's a whole right. other podcast. Right, right. right. Uh, But we well, can get into that too if you want, right? It's interesting because, so I think we've often talked about, speaking of all these types, like Myers-Briggs, blah, blah, blah. Like, so my Enneagram type is an Enneagram 4, um, which is also my least favorite Enneagram number because I think it's like the worst possible one, right? Yeah. Um, but one of the things that Enneagram 4s allegedly struggle with is a sense of identity. And they're so like, um, when I, I think it's mainly when they're not particularly healthy, um, they struggle with a sense of identity. And part of that struggle seems to be that if they aren't unique, then they have no real sense of of true self. So they tried really, really hard to to identify as other um, than right. other people in the world. Right. And I think that that's um, that's always been important to me in some weird way. Hmm. Um, like I've thought for a long time, like if I'm not, if there's not something about me that stands out. If I fit in with everyone else, then that means that I'm mundane, I'm uninteresting. Average. Average. Oh, wouldn't it be terrible to be average? Um, But one of the things that I think I'm learning as I think I approach a more healthy version of my own reality is that I think that there's real comfort in identification with others. And yeah. It's actually like one of my favorite things recently has been meeting other people who identify as fours and just uh, sort of uh, enjoying the process of experiencing our shared reality. Mm. Like I've spent so much time both trying to be unique and then also itching and moaning about the fact that I felt so alone in my uniqueness. Right, like so. <laughs> so there's something give here, right? You know, right. somebody's got to give here. Right, gotta have it both ways all the time. Yeah, right. Um, so there's just something really nice in like this shared understanding with someone else who struggled with the great saga of trying to be like so painfully unique all the yeah. time. Yeah. Um, but I, I, you know, I, I think it's just, you know, people are funny right like we're just a funny we're a really funny species yeah but like that stuff that you just like went through it like it makes no sense because everybody has this like strong urge to be an individual and individuality and be your own person and strive to be different and you're a special snowflake just like everybody else yeah and and then it's like and then on on the flip side of that it's like i really want to be understood i really want to find find other people like me it's like how can you have it both ways? You know, it's like you, those are directly oppositional to each other or are they? And um, I think 
that that does simplify people into uh you know a single axis of consideration sort of and people are complicated but it's like i want to be an individual yet i also want to be understood it's like you know, yeah how can luck. you have it both yeah ways? how can you have it both ways well so i guess so here's a question that's not easy to answer yeah, yeah. what does it mean to be understood oh god that's a good question sherry what do you think <laughs> you're starting to <laughs> get kidding, better at just this. kidding just kidding um what does it mean to be understood? Mm-hmm. Oh boy, what am I looking for? Am I looking for sympathy or am I looking for empathy? Do I want people to understand what it's like to be me or do I want people to be able to feel what I'd like to be me? Um, That's a good question. Is it being seen or is it being heard? Or being felt. Yeah, um, or being felt. That's a good question. Uh, the the Sanskrit is mudita, empathetic and sympathetic joy. One of the four Brahmaviharas. <laughs> I'm stalling because I don't know. Um, yeah, that's a good question, and um, I want to f- I want to explain something to someone until I feel like I have the satisfaction of them understanding my point of view. I don't know, and I don't know what that accomplishes. So, so when you feel seen and when you feel heard, when you feel sympathized or empathized with, it's a it feels good. And I, and I think most mm-hmm. people would, I can't speak for everyone, but I think most people would probably agree that, that those are the qualities of a good listener. A good listener mm-hmm. is not just one who nods their head and says, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm um, literally a, doing that right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a, good li- a good listener is one that... Um, can sympathize with the sharer, I think. And therefore, the responsibility goes on the listener to try to push themselves into a place of understanding what, what the other person is, is, is going on with. Tara Brock and, um, has this story that her and um, Jonathan Faust, her husband, whenever they have a um, disagreement, quote unquote a fight or an argument or whatever it is in their household the first the, the one who wins is the one who first understands what the argument is about from the other person's point of view so it's mm-hmm. like it becomes an empathy contest almost on on who can be who can get to empathy first and understand the other person's uh, point of view if we only may we all you know mm-hmm. uh argue under those rules and um but I don't know why that helps. I don't know why it. Well, it it I don't know why it helps. Um, you know, and I I I can like throw up. Well, it validates you. It's like, yeah, what does that mean? You uh, know, there's. I mean, I, it, it it makes you feel like what you're doing is reasonable, and therefore there's not anything wrong with you for feeling that way. You know, I'm, I don't know. I think it comes back to the. I'm not the only one. I'm not yeah. the only one who can see it this way. Cool. I'm not crazy. I'm not making this up. Right? And, like, and I think that there's, it's, it's like, it's like the comfort of having an eyewitness at the crime. Hmm. You know, like somebody else can see it too. I mean, you know, there are times like, you know, you're facing a, like, you know, recently I was facing a situation that I was really anxious about. Uh-huh. And I could not identify why I was anxious. I just knew I was anxious. And I was so busy being in the loop of, I'm anxious about this. I am anxious. I feel anxiety. 
Look yeah. at the anxiety that I currently feel. That I couldn't articulate where is the anxiety coming from, mm. right? And on this particular occasion, like, I reached out to you and I was like, I'm feeling anxious about this thing and I have no idea why. And I think you, a person who understands me, uh, is like, uh, well, could it be this thing? Now, I think part of it was a shared anxiety. Mm. So you understood where yeah, you were right, coming right, right, right. to it from. Um, and so then all of a sudden you articulate a hypothesis about what it could be. And it's like, oh, yes, yes, that's right. the thing. Um, so sometimes I think understanding might be like passive problem solving. Mm, interesting. <laughs> interesting. Passive. But not fixing. Yeah, passive because. Because you don't want somebody to step in and try to fix the problem or tell you how you should think about it understanding is standing with you looking at the thing together and sharing a way of un of seeing it all right so um when you when you hear then people say i thought i was the only one when it comes down to some uh lack of a better way to say it intersectional aspect of themselves um they may discover that it's they are being sympathized empathized with or they could be and that is enough mm -hmm. for them to participate in the human experience um in the aspects of themselves that they themselves might not be as comfortable with because they don't see it as often in, in others, maybe. And I'm, I'm just like spitballing out there. If I say something not great, I apologize in advance. Because um, it's possible <laughs> that I, I might, you know. It's like I'm trying to wade my way through these waters myself, you know. Um, You're not the only one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought I was the only one who was doing that. Everybody else already had yeah, intersectionality. We're all, we're all making out. it up as we go along. Yeah, all. right. Um, so... Uh, in, in those cases, though, just knowing that, I mean, just meeting that other person whose favorite color is yellow is, um, I've seen it a, being a relief to mm -hmm. people when they find that other person. Yeah. This is, I'm not even going to talk about the soulmate concept or anything like that, but it's like, oh, we're going to be besties because we both like yellow. Well, hang on. There's more than like what your favorite color is, right? Um uh, but it, it's it's a place to start, and and I think shared experiences and shared perspectives, and especially when it comes down to these unique things, are a good place to start. And I think, therefore, we are not served well by stereotyping people. Hmm. I would offer that. I might not be the first one to say that. So. Um, I, I would mean, offer that somebody probably has said that before me. I think that that's true. Several I think, times for decades. You know? Right. Like, that's well, not a good I, idea to do that, by the way. For well, exactly this reason. Yeah. I think it's one of these things that we know is discouraged, right? But it's also typing people is something we rely on, right? Like, Yeah. It's like discouraged or not, you do it all day. Yeah. And I mean... <clears throat> You know, a lot of fictional text, right? Be they um, film or TV uh -huh. or literature, 
Like, they rely on these stock characters. Like, I don't have to tell you, you've seen this guy before. You know exactly the kind of character yeah, the, he is. The, old, the Breakfast Club was literally a movie about stereotypes, right? Right. And I think, in some ways, the way that our brains categorize people, some of that is survival, right? Like, if I've seen a particular kind of shady dude, and I've experienced a certain kind of thing with a certain kind of shady dude... Uh, the next time I meet a guy with those qualities, um, I'm going to behave in a certain way out of protection based upon what I know it means to be a woman in this world who has experienced right. shady dudes. Right. 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 So, I mean, it's it's hard because on the one hand, I think it's it is a survival strategy, like just thinking about it as a thing that the species does. But at the other side is we can miss out on a lot of opportunities if we lean too far into those. Yeah. So it kind of comes back to this. Um, how do I extract the maximum amount? Because we, you, you said this and I was like, no, you, you mentioned, you know, it's like, is it about efficiency? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, I don't know. It is. You know, now I've come around. Um, <laughs> how do we extract the maximum amount of information for our own survival as quickly as possible? And a, a margin of error is acceptable because we're talking mm-hmm. about survival. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's okay. It's, it's okay if you're wrong, if you lived through it. Right, right. I mean, right. that's the goal right. is okay survival. You, it's okay if you're wrong if you live through it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, no harm, no foul. And as as natural selection shapes human evolution via the process of natural selection, you know, it's like, who? there's a hyena running after me. You know, I'm going to stop and have a real conversation with this hyena. Let's have a cup of tea. <laughs> yeah. And we'll Let's think out, about it. Like, well, I realize the, the Myers-Briggs is not everything. So we'll talk about some other ways that uh, some of the <laughs> right. foibles of this hyena that is massively hungry, uh, that is running after me. They have little short back legs only so quickly. But I um, want to understand his childhood understand. trauma that led to him being in Enneagram 6. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, <laughs> and those genes were not propagated in the population to best that generation. So, but the hyenas, babies were well fed. Um, and... <laughs> Yeah. So <laughs> the answer is run, you know, uh, run. Um, right. But yeah, maybe that is it. It's how do I extract the most information? And which means that this, what this comes down to is one of the many aspects of evolutionary history within humans that we still live with the ghosts of today. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's these evolutionary holdovers, these leftovers that don't serve us well today that served us well in our past. Well, I mean, sometimes the they will serve us well, right? But... Um... Other so in politics. Yeah, I mean, you know, to some extent, I think, I think one of the challenges, perhaps, to us, knowing that we are a species that likes to type and categorize, um, part of it is maybe understanding that efficiency is there, but also working to stay curious about what our brain's actually doing. Right. Um, you know, like. So about a decade ago, um, you know, there was this guy that I saw at my college uh, that my brain was like, whoa, 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 stay away from that one. Mm. Right? Like for a decade, I was like, whoa, 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 we can't handle that. Um, But it took me a while to get curious about like, well, why exactly are we afraid of Paul Fitzgerald? Who wouldn't be? Eh, Most people. 
I'm heartless. But like, I think, you know, there's something, you know, I think we were always on the brink of doing something together and I wasn't ready to do a thing 10 years ago. I was busy doing other things. It would have been stupid. It would have been stupid if we would have tried. It would have been stupid. Yeah. So like. Be all dirty. You know. Oh, we would have had the dumbest podcast 10 years ago. 2010. I wasn't even a doctor then. Yeah. There would not have been 41 episodes. No. No. Probably wouldn't have been one. No, I don't think so. Yeah. So, I mean, like, there there was some sort of like, oh, I see what's happening over there. And my brain had a very strong response, but I couldn't understand what it was yet. So it took me a little while. Paul's like trying to think through what he thinks about this. Yeah, it's like, (laughs) Paul will let you know in four months when when he gets around to feeling it. Um, But it's fine because you also spent like 10 years... uh, actively avoiding me yeah so i was on the fine. other side of that yeah i was on the other side of that yeah, so it's not um, like you were you knew who i was you weren't showing up at my doorstep well i just occupied the office after you right so yeah but you, you didn't have to and up. you knew where my office was before that yeah that was a lousy office over yeah. in Seattle. anyway uh, <laughs> um, i know you used to walk by yeah i used to walk by um mm-hmm. and uh so what does it take for us to realize that that stereotyping, although it has served us evolutionarily well, is not always a kind thing to do to someone? And it's one of these things, I think so the you're brain... you're salty that I avoided you? I think... <laughs> Moving on, Dr. Spiegel, right? I think... <laughs> I think the brain does it by itself. I think the brain, you know, sort of does this categorization and stereotyping by itself a little bit. But I think I think it, it's able to do that because I think it's been trained. I don't think it does mm-hmm. that naturally. I think it's been, it's it, it's embedded within us by our causes, conditions, our teachers, our teachings, uh, some of our experiences, but more often than not, just stuff that we hear and what people tell us. I think we believe a lot of shit that we don't need to mm-hmm. about a lot of things. And um, there's something certainly to be said for discovering your own information and knowledge about stuff mm-hmm. and uh, i think we like to think that uh we know more than we do and that mm-hmm. we have more figured out than we do because it gives us some confidence that we'll continue to survive and i think this you know i'm not thrilled with the stereotyping word still lets us do that it lets us go on the world feeling like we and thinking that we know more than we really do about people and what their motivations are Mm-hmm. But I think there's yeah. so much richness to be gained out of actually getting to know somebody. Yeah. I mean, I think so. I mean, it, it's so weird because here's another contradiction that I fully believe in. Okay. I think that we should always trust our instincts about people and realize the fact that we often get it wrong. No, that's fair. You know, like... um. There are times where I've had very clear instincts that, like, a person was dangerous, and they turned out to be and they were. dangerous. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they were. Right? Um, but I've also gotten it wrong. So, it's... It's a curious thing, isn't it? Yeah. Um, 
so many things plug into this. This first impressions, um, stereotypes, uh, what your experience in your own life have been, mm-hmm. the value of establishing true empathy. And, you know, if you can only experience the I thought I was the only one, if you do actually take a minute with somebody and say, okay, stereotypes aside, I want to get to know this person and, and figure out who they are. Uh-huh. And uh, this is this is also a kind of a well-known phenomenon out there. There are these um, conversations that go on about what are good questions to ask people when you're getting to know them and what are lousy ones. So what do you do? No. <laughs> it's like, That's oh, such a God. Washington, D.C. You know, yeah, thing. yeah, it's such a D.C. thing. Yeah. You know, hi, Bob. What do you do? You know, yeah. and, and which which immediately puts people into a, if I understand your job, then I know who you are and what you do and your motivations are and what you do on Thursdays and how you spend your money and what your significant other looks like if you have one or if you have one or what you do on mm-hmm. the weekends, who your favorite sports team is, what your favorite food is, right? And I can extract all of that information by asking you what you do. Right. Well, it's, you know, it's funny. Um, the other day we were watching this bit between... Um, John Mulaney and Seth Meyers. And John Mulaney was talking about basically the the question he likes to ask people when he meets them, like at weddings Mm. or whatever. And it's not, what do you do? Um, And we watched this bit right before um, Eric and I met with you and Shauna at the Cider Barn. Yeah. And so John Mulaney's question was, so have you ever seen a ghost? And the whole drive out to meet you and Shauna, which this is the first time Eric was going to meet Shauna. That's an awesome question. Eric was yeah. like, I'm going to ask Shauna. So, Shauna, awesome you ever question. meet a ghost? And so the whole time we were there, I was just waiting for the moment that, like, randomly my husband asks. So, you have that look to look forward to. Uh, I know what the answer to that would be. What? I'm not going to tell you. Yeah, you got to let her tell me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, hey, yeah. so, Paul. Have you yeah. ever seen a ghost? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think my experiences with the paranormal are so forthcoming as to as to see ghosts. Um, I, I, I would have to right now. I might have to. I'm trying to think. You know, if I was, you know, um, I might have to go with no. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I might have to go with no. Never asked you Have that you? question. Um, I think I've had premonitions, but I've never. I've been spooked by like something, but I don't think I've ever actually yeah, believed so, that I saw. A yeah, that's that's where I am too. It's like I have had things happen that are you know, but it's like I don't think I've actually like oh look a ghost. Uh, right. Yeah. Like, <laughs> hey, everybody hey, over there, ghost. You. you know. Um, Heard, I think, seen, no, but um, mm. yeah, well, that's a story for another podcast. For another, that's yeah, interesting, but yeah, in so, a well known okay. haunted establishment, no less. In a well known haunted establishment, mm. no less. But so, I mean, it's such an interesting thing. <laughs> like, why is that a more uh, compelling? Like, why is that, or what's your favorite color? Why is that a more compelling question? Then, hey, what do you do? Uh, I see ghosts. What do you... (laughs) I I don't think anybody's ever answered that question that way before, but maybe someone has, right? Uh, You know, I see dead people in the sixth sense. Um, 
Uh, I don't know. That's a good question. Um, it certainly is an aspect of individuality that is not captured in many of the stereotypes. It's like if I find out that you're a financial analyst uh, working in the city, uh, driving a, uh, a, a mid-range sedan, all the stereotypes that I can sort of get out of what you look like, what I see, what I hear, what your voice is like, and what you say you do, does not help me in answering the question about whether or not you have seen a ghost. Um, it is it is not part of any real um, stereotypical set. So, so maybe it, it's, that's it's what, sort of what outside makes of it the, an it, interesting it's, question. It's not part of the Venn diagram of personality, you know. Right. It's it's, it's yeah. It's like the in the ether around yeah. it. Literally in the ether around it, right? Right. So maybe it's just an, a question that leads to an interesting conversation instead of being a conversation ender. Like, oh, what do you do? I'm a financial planner. Okay, cool. I know everything I need to know. Have you seen a ghost? That's going to, like, that's not leading me to a stereotype. Um, even what's your favorite color? Like, oh, of course you're a green guy. Yeah. Yeah, I saw you coming. Right, like, yeah. of course. Yeah, it's so great. interesting. So I, I would challenge our, our listeners to, you know, hop on one of the socials. It's like, what's a good question? What's a good yeah. question that you would suggest? Have you seen a ghost? That's a good one. That's mm-hmm. a good one. Yeah. I try to come up with it. What's another good one? What's another good one? Um, see, I've been. See, thinking I don't even know. It's like. <laughs> I know. It's like, I don't even know what another good one is. Um, so what questions can we ask one another that lead us away from stereotypes and towards real authentic knowing? Because if somebody said yes to that question, you know, there's the possibility of, oh, I thought I was the only one. Um, nobody ever thought they were their, the only financial analyst out there, right? You know? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> it's like yeah. I, I think I think people would say, oh, "Okay, yeah, that guy over there is too." He said the exact same thing. Have you ever seen a ghost? It's like if they say yes, then it does lead to the possibility of, "Oh, I thought I was the only one." Right. Well, and even if like if you say yes, then the 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 two experiences aren't going to be the same, right? It still leads to other questions. Like if if we come to a meeting or whatever, and I say, hey, Paul, what do you do? And you're like, I'm a college professor. And I'm like, me too. Yeah. End cool. of conversation. I just came up with one, though, but it's stupid. Oh, I like stupid. Ready for this one? I am. When's the last time you ate spam? Mm. Mm. Gosh, I guess it's been about 10 years. Of course, this is not a perfect question because it presumes that you have eaten spam. You know, uh, but I think you have. Oh, I think you have. (laughs) So what stereotypes lead you to believe that I am a spam eater, Paul? Oh, I don't know. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe there's like a Virginia spam thing. I don't know. Um, I don't know. I associate spam more with Missouri than I do. Yeah, yeah. We had a lot of spam. I believe it. I think spam is more a social class food than it is a geographic food food yeah i don't know because i mean there are these like uh there are some cultures that have spam in their diet worked in pretty good in a lot of ways well i ate a lot of spam growing up did you yeah so did we we got the knockoff spam from aldi's it's like we didn't even get the actual spam 
Oh, we never saw Aldi growing up. (laughs) Uh, What's another good one? What's another good one? So have you seen a ghost? When's the last time you ate spam? Uh, I don't know. So one of my... um, one of my favorite podcasts right now is this podcast called Films to be Buried With. Uh-huh. And one of the things, he has all these different guests on. Um, and like about 10 minutes into their banter or whatever, he announces that they have tragically died. And he tells them, I'm so sorry to hear this. And then he says, now that you're dead, like, um, he asks them these questions about like what kinds of films they would choose to be buried with based on like very specific categories. Um and they're very specific, like, um, of course, now that I have said that they're very specific, the only right. specific one uh, that I can remember is, like, he, I think, I don't know if he always asks, but he asks, like, the sexiest movie you've ever seen. Mm. Um, so, but they're very specific kind of film categories. So I think asking not what your favorite movie is, but something specific about um, a film might be interesting. That might be interesting. But I can't, I can't think of a good question right now. Yeah, it's hard to think of good questions mm. on the spot. What's your favorite kitchen appliance? Oh, favorite kitchen appliance. Lately, um, like plug-in? You choose. I have been doing quite a lot of mixing lately because mm. I did vegan um, a vegan dinner rolls and I've been doing a lot of mixing lately. You got you know, a KitchenAid you, mixer over there? Yeah, I got a KitchenAid over what here. What color? Silver. Hmm. Metallic silver. KitchenAid mm-hmm. artisan. Um, I do like oh, a good... Oh, gotta be the artisan. I do like a good Cuisinart, though. Oh. For the food processing? Yeah, for food processing. You look mm-hmm. a good Cuisinart. I enjoy the lemon press, personally. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking, I was, I was trying to think, well, like, not things that I plug in either. Like, what's my, like, the analog? What's the, what's my mm-hmm. favorite analog appliance? Um, I do like a good lemon press. And you can also get a lime press, but a lemon press works equally well on lime. So this is on lemon. You know, I so, think you, know, you, you might call what I have a lime press. You know why? Why? Because it's green? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we try to color color code them that way to avoid confusion, right? You don't right. want to accidentally use the wrong one. I believe the technical term for it is a citrus press. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I mean, for me, it it all comes down to a good knife. Mm. It it all comes, you know, if. That's all you need. There's nothing worse than a lousy knife. Um, And you only need one knife. If you got a good one, you need one. A good Um, chef's knife. Yeah. If you you have... um, Do you have good knives? I do. You got pretty good knives, yeah. I have a favorite knife in my kitchen. Yeah, everybody's got a favorite one. Yeah. We have two chef's knives. And uh, if I open up the drawer and the one I prefer is dirty like it's just oh i'm so disappointed in life yeah yeah mm-hmm. that's a good question too though what's your favorite kitchen kitchen tool yeah kitchen I like appliance. That. Mm-hmm. that's a good one too um how about this for an answer um parchment paper <gasps> yes yeah it's very useful <laughs> uh-huh no i have strong it's opinions like that one too right yeah we don't think about parchment somebody's gonna like 
fire up this podcast and jump straight to episode or to number to like minute mark 53. It's like, what are they talking about parchment paper for? What is this episode about? It took a yeah. while for us to get here, but this is what we're talking about now. Parchment paper. Yeah. Deal with parchment it. If you never paper. use yeah. it, go get some. It's, it's awesome. Fine. Right. It, it works great. Um, a good question though. What's your favorite kitchen tool? So, um, so those questions do defy stereotype, I think. And, uh-huh. and I think that gives us an entree into individuality more than what do you do? Mm-hmm. Um, well, in, in St. Louis growing up, it was where do you go to high school? Mm-hmm. It was where do you go to high school? And I don't know if that's true in Virginia or not, but in St. Louis, it's like that's how you met everybody was. And then you'd find out and then you just like instantly knew like all kinds of things about them from knowing where they went to high school. Half of which, of course, was total BS, but it was well, the question that was asked. Yeah. Was I mean, I think this asked. is true for the borough that I grew up in. So I grew up in uh, Tidewater, Virginia. Um, right, right, right. And hmm? I said, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, and so I grew up in Deep Creek. Deep Creek is my borough. Um, and so, like, if you ask someone, where'd you go to high school? And they said, uh, Great Bridge. And you said Deep Creek. Some decisions were made about <sighs> your lives based upon that knowledge. Yeah. Oscar yeah. Smith. Oh, oh, okay. Churchland. Oh, mm-hmm. goodness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And within within those, I mean, just within high school. I mean, there's is an in, there's an internal and an external. So it's where did you go to high school? But then there's like within the high school, it's like, did you live in the city or did you live in the county? And you know, uh-huh. <laughs> all this stuff, you know, kind of yeah. comes in. And well, we just like to categorize. Shortcuts, right? yeah. Shortcut, yeah. That's it's like shortcuts. You know, shortcuts to information to let us think that we know more than we do, so we can survive. And well, but, they serve us well, and they serve us catastrophically poorly yeah. at the same time. Don't you think that there's a difference? It's funny because I think in the COVID times, the number of times that I have needed a question like, so what do you do? Has been very minimal. Yeah. I'm not talking to people I don't know, right? Um, I don't remember the last time I met someone new, right? Like, yeah. Unless I'm talking about... Like I, I'm not even striking up a conversation with like the cashier at the at the world market, right? Yeah, right. right. Um, but I do think with these questions, like, well, what do you do? That's not a com- That's not a question asked because you're interested in knowing a human. That is a question asked because you would like to feel less discomfort in silence with humans that you haven't been able to size up appropriately. Right. 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 And so a question like, what's your favorite kitchen utensil or uh, have you ever seen seen a ghost? ghost. (laughs) That's actually designed to get to know a human. Yeah, I love that. Because those are personal and unique experiences. Mm Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, whether somebody is a financial analyst, yeah, I guess that is too, but it's different. Yeah. It's different. You don't get to choose whether or not you see a ghost. You do get to choose whether or not you're a financial analyst. You don't mm-hmm. get to choose what your favorite appliance is in the kitchen. It just sort of is what it is based on who you are. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's what it is. Um, maybe that's what it is. The questions that are interesting are the ones that really get to who you are, not decisions that you've made. It's a little yeah. more primary, not so much secondary. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Um, yeah. And I this mean- is an interesting question now, though. What do you? So what do you do in COVID times? Mm-hmm. It's like, God, what do I do? It's like I, I get on Zoom and I talk all day. 
to uh-huh. students who take notes. I, I think they take notes. It's like it, now it might be an interesting question again for a little bit. Uh-huh. That's more of a how do you do how do you do your job now though is more of an interesting question. Well, you know, I do think the only people we have met in the COVID times has been our current students. Um, and I, I am thinking about how often I begin a semester with asking questions like, well, what's your major? Why am I not ask, starting the semester with, so what do you like to use in the kitchen? Yeah, this completely has upended my first day of class next semester in yeah. every way. Mm-hmm. In every way. So uh, each one of my students in my class, I think, is going to get a different question. That's down the lines of, so have you ever seen a ghost? So, you know, what's really interesting is um, one of my good friends, Aaron Bond. Hello to Aaron, although I don't think Aaron listens to our podcast. Um, but Aaron, I've observed Aaron teaching and he calls roll every day in his class. Hmm. By asking students a different question. Like, and the whole class has to give their own answer. A different question um, for each student? Like every, like each each day there's a different question? Each day there's a different question. Okay. Every student gets the same question. Okay, okay, okay. Um, and so the day that I observed his teaching, um, he had just like smashed his thumb, like sprained his thumb or something like that. And he's like, over the weekend, you sprained your thumb. What's the story? How did it happen? And so each student has to come up with a <laughs> different awesome. version of that. That's awesome. I bet he has a repository of these. I bet he does. I bet yeah. he does. Aaron, if you're listening. Aaron's a great question asker. Hmm. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons he's very easy to talk to. People, I think, kind of instantly feel like they know him. Yeah. And I think this is true. There's a couple other people in my life who are like this who you automatically feel like you have rapport with them. And then you realize, wait a minute, I don't know anything about them. Yeah. But they ask really good questions. Mm -hmm. Hmm. And may we continue to do so if we ever did, right? So um, I like to think that I take the time to get to know people more than what stereotypy suggests. Um, I don't know why I like to think that about myself, but I do. I I think you ask good questions. I, I mean, think I would want people to not stereotype me. Well, yeah, I mean, you're not going to do well, right? I'm not going to do well. No, Overeducated no, white dude in yeah. America. <laughs> I'm not going to do well. Um, I hope people won't stereotype me. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. That's a good point. That yeah. is a good point. Um, I hate being stereotyped. I hate being stereotyped. I mean, it's yeah. one of the things that drives me crazy in the world is um, I think a lot of times people assume things. Ab- I am underestimated a lot of the time. Yeah, right. When people first meet me. Right. And then they always say, oh, I'm so surprised you're so good at things. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> That's what you want to hear, right? <laughs> oh, my God. You're, You're surprisingly yeah, good at math. Yeah, that's why it was like the jeans and t-shirt approach, because it's like, yeah. I'm not that fancy. Yeah. I'm not that fancy. Hmm. Well, you know what, Paul? I think this podcast went in places I didn't expect it to. Yeah, I think it did too. And we learned more about each other, maybe, for it. We have a shared love for parchment paper. 
We do. Parchment paper. Check it out. That's the take. Yeah, like I got a hot and bothered over here when you were like, parchment (laughs) paper. I was like, oh my God, yes. Somebody else who, I thought I was the only one who appreciated parchment paper. I thought I was the only one. Thank you. Thank you for seeing my love for parchment. Just so you know, one product you can buy on Amazon, uh, you can probably get it in stores if they're specialty. Um, You can get pre-cut parchment paper. We have a 200 pack downstairs and is pre-cut to the size of a standard half cake sheet pan. Pull it right out. Really? Lay it right on. It's ready to go. Yep. Paul, you've never been more interested. I will than you put are that right link. Now. I'll put that link in the show notes. Yeah, <laughs> if anybody would like to buy <clears throat> parchment paper, we should make some official TMUL parchment paper swag. That would be and so, <laughs> you, you know, get hoodies since and you, you can get hoodies that, and stuff like that. We do like not that. have parchment mm-hmm. paper in our shop, but we do have a shop on the website now. We do have a shop on the website now where people can buy things like. Hoodies and tote bags that say this most unbelievable life. And then they can go out in the world and wear those. And people can say to them, you listen to this most unbelievable life. I thought I was the only one. I thought I was the only one. And uh, that's a cool way to support uh, what we're trying to do. Um, We love what we're doing. And not everything that we do, however, is free. So um, if you like it and you want to represent a little bit, we'd love to. We'd love to see you in the shop and, and see what mm-hmm. you like and if anybody has any suggestions on swag that they would like to see we might bend ear yeah to that. i mean we've we've already done that originally there was a hoodie in the shop uh that was a pullover hoodie and we received feedback from a number of our dear listeners uh who felt that a zipper was more congruent with the needs of our population so there's and a question. There's a question right there. So do you like pullover or zipper hoodies? Well, so Paul, you're kind of doing this on your Instagram already, aren't you? I am. You, yeah. You've I, been asking yeah, these kinds of questions. Yeah. 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 We can yeah. do this. We can do this on the on our on our Instagram as well. Yeah. We'll wait we for the. We'll it. wait. We'll wait for this one to go out, and we'll do it. Yeah. And then we can ask our listeners. So you ever seen a ghost? Pullover or zip up? Mm. Parchment paper or food processor? <laughs> Oh, don't when's, make me choose. When's the last time you ate spam? Right. Mm-hmm. So, all good stuff. Cool. Thanks, Sherry. Favorite color of light bulb? What do you What do you mean? Like, if you get like, like the a, coloring, like, are you a daylight? Are you kind of like a cool, warm? What do you do? Uh, the daylight. Oh yeah, me too. Daylight, daylight, totally. daylight. daylight. I knew totally. I liked you. See, daylight. For yeah. Sure. I was I like back, like me, like back in the eighties when you used to put like red and blue and yellow bulbs in the in the lamp to be cool at parties and stuff. Oh yeah, because there's that too. There's that too. There is, yeah. Cool. Well, very good. Thanks, Paul. Thank you, Sherry. Um, we got a couple of workshops that we're cooking on, so we'll mm-hmm. announce those when we do uh, for the new year. Um, year, and new we'll announce those soon enough. But mm-hmm. we're going to do some pretty cool stuff. Um, thanks for listening, folks. Yeah. Thanks for chatting, Paul. Awesome. Thank you, Sherry. Cool. Bye-bye. Bye. This podcast is produced by Sherry Spiegel, Paul Fitzgerald, and This Most Unbelievable Life. For more information, please check us out at www.thismostunbelievablelife.com. Paul and Sherry have a podcast. Podcast, yes. 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 Yes.